Hello, welcome to another episode of Capital Employed FM. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of being joined by Maynard Patton, who is a full-time private investor, researcher and blogger. He's someone who is very well known within the UK small cap sphere. So it's a real pleasure to have him on as I've been following him personally for a while. In this episode, Maynard talks about his ramp investing style, which is very interesting to learn about. He also talks about two stocks that he is very bullish on for the long term. Before we jump into this week's episode, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Maynard. Hi Maynard, thanks for coming onto the podcast. Hi John, thanks for inviting me. Can you provide a brief introduction to yourself and what is your investment style? Yeah, so for some background, I've been uh, an investor for 25, nearly 30 years now. I started back in the uh, early 90s when I was in my early 20s and I've been pretty much obsessed with the stock market ever since. So early career is in IT, but I wanted to work full time in the in the stock market, and I uh, I eventually got a job as a financial writer at Motley Fool UK, the the financial website. So I was there for fifteen years, writing about different shares, different companies, different ways of investing. Uh, I was also a shared tipster during that time as well for about six or seven years with a reasonable amount of success. I think I uh, left Motley Fool at the end of twenty fourteen. And since then, I've been a self-employed, full-time investor, blogger, writer, researcher. So I'm, I'm basically reading and writing about shares every day. My investment style, that's changed over time. It's basically now my own mix of Jim Slater, Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett looking mostly at, looking mostly at smaller companies. And I now put a lot more emphasis on, on uh, management than I used to do. So years ago, I looked only for Buffett-type franchises with competitive moats. So a, a good example was the uh, the London Stock Exchange, which I, I bought in 2002, 2003, that sort of time, when the, the business just seemed to me like a, an obvious monopoly. So in that if you, uh, you wanted to trade UK shares, you had to go through the LSE. So back then it had uh, 30% margins. It was cash rich. And it was just a, an obviously great business that the PE was about 12 or 13. When I was buying it, when the shares were three pounds or so. So the trouble is now you can't buy LSE type businesses at uh, twelve times earnings. They're more like thirty or forty. So the the valuations are pretty full, and I, I still think that the the uh, valuation counts with investing. Although in the last uh, last few years that's not always been the case, and people have got used to paying up for quality and doing well. But I'm I'm not sure how sustainable that is. So so rather than looking at the absolute top tier companies now. I look at smaller companies where the, the moat may rest upon capable management or company culture, which that may not be as a, a powerful LSE type moat, but it could be good enough to produce a, uh, a respectable track record. So, so basically, I'm looking for respectable companies with capable managers trading at a, a modest price to, to hold for the long term. So, so rather than growth at a reasonable price or GARP, I'm looking for respectability at a modest price or RAMP, R-A-M-P, RAMP stocks as I call them. 
So that's that's my approach, really, John. And what type of businesses do you like to invest in? What are the business characteristics you are looking for? I'm generally looking for smaller companies. They're just simpler to understand. And I think you're more likely to find a, a bargain. I just think you're more likely to find the occasional multi-bagger among smaller companies than you are with larger ones. I, I must admit, most of my shares are pretty dull. Actually, I just find with a lot of dull companies, they do seem to grind out good results year after year. And the, and the share prices can do really well without any uh, song and dance really. So my portfolio owns a lot of dull stuff. So commercial lighting, industrial drills, boiler hire, used car finance, that sort of thing. So it's all mundane stuff with a few dividends as well. But I think with these with these companies, they do uh, quietly just get on with the, with the job. And I think the, the important thing here is that they're all run by owner managers. So directors who have large shareholdings and they've got lots of money riding on the on the share price so company founders entrepreneurs family firms where the uh the founding family have uh, run the business for years and they want to look after look after it well for the next generation to run so what i find with these owner managers they tend to look after outside shareholders so that's the likes of me and you a lot better than what i would recall professional chief execs so the uh, nine to five directors who tend to think more about bonuses and pay and options and career paths and all that sort of thing, rather than building a uh, a business for the long term. On the on the valuation, I'm looking for a as I say a, a modest valuation because that gives more of a uh, a better chance of a re-rating. So when a share gets re-rated from ten times to twenty times earnings, you get that double whammy of earnings growth plus the re-rating which can turbocharge the the share price so um i mean ideally p's of about 12 or less because i just think it's much easier for that sort of rating to be uh re-rated to something like 18 times or 20 times then and if you're buying at 30 times uh you know trying for that share to be re-rated to something like 45 times it's that can be hard because there's only very few companies or at least in the uk very few UK companies have the real quality and growth and wherever to justify that sort of 45 premium times rating for years. So I hope that explains what I uh, look for, John. Can you talk about two stocks in your portfolio that you feel have great long-term potential? What was the thesis for investing? So the, the first stock is System 1. This is ticker S. YS1. This is a thirty million pound market cap business traded on the London AIM market. It's my it's my largest holding. It's about seventeen percent of my portfolio. And I was buying last year at about one pound eighty, and the price now is two pound thirty. I've owned these shares for five years now, John, and the, the company's had its ups and downs. It was a, a quality stock at one time, but it's lost its way. I think the next five years will be better than the last five years. It's a recovery stroke transformation story at the moment. And I just think the market has missed what's going on. A trading statement the other month said the next four year results would show a 2.9 million profit. But the earlier interims were blighted by the pandemic. So the bulk of that 2.9 million profit, which comes to about 2.5 million, was produced in the second half. So if you then 
double that second half performance to get a more normalized level of profit, you get 5 million pre-tax, which after tax gives about 4 million, which is not bad for a 30 million market cap business. Plus this uh, trading statement said there was net cash of 6 million, which is 20% of the 30 million market cap, which I reckon could be valued at eight times possible earnings. The valuation looks cheap, but the business is not actually that bad. It tests television adverts to see how effective they are. And it's built up a lot of unique data that tells companies whether their ads on TV actually resonate with the audience. So whether people actually go out and buy the product being advertised or whether these adverts are basically a complete waste of money, which as I understand, a lot of adverts are. So the business used to rely on consultancy work. So big advertisers would come to System 1 and System 1 would test their adverts and tell them where they were going wrong and how to improve them. So like change the music, which can have a, a big effect on whether people watch an advert on TV or not. But the, the consultancy work became a bit hit and miss and the, a big few clients disappeared. And now the company's been uh, transforming into a more a reliable data business by selling its ad data. So for the last few years, it's tested every single advert shown on UK TV and American TV as well. It's now got this huge database where tens of thousands of tested adverts. So now anyone can access this database and pay System 1 to see how their adverts have performed and also how the, uh, the adverts of their competitors have performed as well. So, so data sales from this database were very slow to get off the ground, but the latest statement said they now accounted for uh, 15% of total sales. So, so data sales have suddenly jumped, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that's got something to do with ITV. So just before the pandemic, System 1 partnered up with ITV, where ITV would promote System 1 to its advertisers. And ITV is keen to get more people watching adverts because better adverts should mean more business for ITV. On the management, the founder is still a, an executive director, so that's good. He also owns 22% of the company, so that's good as well. The chief exec, he owns 6%. And interestingly enough, he bought most of his shares with his own money. I've been to the AGM a few times. The founder said once that he wants, he wants the company to become the YouGov of advert data. And if you see how YouGov has performed sending it survey data, I'll I will uh, take a, a fraction of that. So that's system one. I should say the results are next week, John, on the 29th of June. So by the time everyone listens to this, the results, results may already be out of what I've said about the valuation of the company. Might have gone a little stale, but we'll see. I just think there could be a chance of this business becoming a, a scalable data business with recurring sales and very good margins, which one day could be rated highly by the market, but we'll see. I may have got it all wrong. So the second stock is M. Winkworth, ticker Wink, W-I-N-K. This is another AIM traded small cap. The market cap is 25 million and it's my sixth largest holding. It's about 9% of my portfolio. I've actually held this share for 10 years now. I bought some, sold a few, but kept some. And then the bought, I bought a few, few more uh, a few years ago. and more early this year. So the price now is £2 and I was buying at around £1.80 earlier this year. This is more of a, a textbook type investment for me. It's small, low profile, 
modestly rated with decent financial. And the current trading seems that seems to be going well. It's an estate agency franchising business with a hundred or so uh, high street branches throughout London and affluent towns in the southeast of England. Winkworth just owns two of those branches, uh, with the other ninety-eight run by the franchisee. So, so these self-employed franchisees do all the hard work of selling houses and dealing with the chains, and the, the company collects a straight eight percent of all the commissions the franchisee earns, and in and in return for that eight percent, the franchisee gets the gets to use the Winkworth brand and gets admin services and marketing services and things like that. So the the franchising setup leads to good 20% margins, good cash conversion, good 20% levels of ROE, and the the company's consistently carried a reasonable level of cash and never had any debt. Uh, The management, that's a real positive here. The modern franchising setups were started in the 80s by by the current chairman, and his son is now the chief exec. So this is a family type business and the family own almost 50% of the stock and they do like they do like their dividends. This is actually one of the one of the very few aim shares that pays quarterly dividends but the dividend was cut in the pandemic when the the branches were all shut for a while but the the last update showed a uh, a record quarterly dividend and also a special dividend which did make up for that cut so the last statement said current trading was pretty good, and that's been triggered by the stamp duty holiday. Property market in London now is surging as everyone wants to think about whether they still want to live in London or whether they want to move outside of London and work from home in a larger house. So there's a boom going on right now, and the, the stock market's not quite sure how long the boom will last, which is why the, the shares trade at somewhere between 11 and 14 times earnings depending on how you view the cash on the on the balance sheet. So I'm I'm optimistic but I could be wrong here because the share has traded at a modest rating for years as earnings have flatlined because of Brexit and tax changes keeping a, a lid on the the London property market. But the company has been winning market share. What's been really impressive is winning market share from Foxtons. Foxtons claims to be London's leading and largest estate agent yet its sales and rental income have dropped 40 percent since 2015 while Winkworth's franchisee revenue has been broadly flat so so Winkworth has run rings around Foxton's so even if the current property boom subsides there's scope for growth simply through taking more market share so comparing the last statement uh, Winkworth still seems to be outperforming Foxton's by a mile, I think. The next dividend is due to be announced in mid-July, so we might get some idea then of how things are going. If the dividend is lifted to another record, then that would be very positive. I'm I'm optimistic, but let's see what happens, John. Thanks for sharing those two stocks, Maynard. They seem both very interesting. Is there a person that you have met or followed, or possibly a mentor, or even a book you have read that you feel has made you a better investor? Well, I I met Jim Slater once. This was back in my uh, Motley Fool days. He came in for a podcast, actually. And uh, this was back in 2009. He came in to talk about his Zulu principle books, which he had republished at the time. I sat in on the on the podcast and I remember him giving three, I remember him giving three share ideas, but I can't remember what they were or anything else he said, really. But what I do recall was 
uh, Jim's books was they were the first that gave some detailed guidelines to about how to go about investing, at least in the UK. So Jim studied all his share picks, found out what worked for him and what didn't work. And he produced a, a checklist, basically, of things to look for, such as increasing earnings per share, uh, the peg ratio, cash-rich accounts, and all that sort of thing. So he, what he did was define the process to look for a certain type of stock. So for Jim, it was dynamic growth stocks. But the, the important point is that he became an expert at finding those types of companies, which gave him a gave him better results than somebody who dabbled in different approaches and had a bit of a, a mishmash portfolio. So the so the concept of defining a process that works for you is important. Work out what has worked for you in the past and then build on that. If you write it down as a rough checklist and it's easy just to weed out all the, the half-baked ideas you get, you always get from magazines and social media and elsewhere. So you can, and then you can spend more time focusing on the companies that are more likely to to make you money. So I think that's the lesson. Define your own approach, write it down, and then become an expert in your own corner of the of the market. Where can listeners go to find out more information about you? My blog, which is maynardpayton.com. If you go to maynardpayton.com forward slash sys1, there are lots of links about system one. And if you go to maynardpayton.com, forward slash wink there are lots of links about winkworth and my email address is contact at maynardpayton.com for anyone wishing to get in touch that's great yeah thanks maynard for coming on to the podcast it's been a pleasure to listen to you thank you john